0: the title of this message is a people of prayer <laughs> and that's that's a it's it's an exciting topic right a people of prayer i believe that it is the father's heart for our father's house to become to an even greater measure a house of intercession and prayer god has a destiny For our Father's house, God has a purpose for our Father's house. It's a kingdom purpose and a kingdom destiny to reach outside of these walls. In this city, in this region, this has been prophesied multiple times, and I try my best, as I'm sharing, to put it before us all, because where there is no vision, people perish. If we are all only focused internally and we're never focused on making a difference in the community, then we just live in a Christian bubble and... Like, what, what, like the, the point of the gospel is to go and make disciples. The point of the gospel is to turn the world upside down. We see in the New Testament and Acts, uh, 3,000 being added to their number in one day. We see things changing. Demons, miracles, signs, wonders. And that's what we long for in this house. But the reality is, is nothing happens in the kingdom outside of the place of prayer. It is actual, actualized in the place of prayer where we make contact with our Heavenly Father. And I believe that this is an invitation. This is not like the Father is uh, 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 displeased, but it's an invitation into the more. It's an invitation into the deep, because we are already a house of prayer. We are already a people of prayer. But I believe that this is a specific area that God is wanting to oil up in this house. And I say oil up because... On November 5th, 2023, Jeff Lyle was here with us. Does anybody remember our time with Jeff Lyle? And Jeff Lyle shared with us a vision that he had of a honeypot. And this honeypot was sitting, he he found out later after he had the vision, after he saw this bench. He had a vision of a honeypot sitting on this bench right here in the altar. And in this vision, he saw people coming up to this honey pot and dipping their hands in and getting oil. He knew it wasn't, it was a honeypot, but it was oil coming out of this pot. And he knew that it was the anointing for us to become a greater house of intercession and prayer. That it is something that is dear to the Father's heart in this hour that we would be living, breathing intercessors before him. And I believe also uh, Nick Wilson had a vision as well. So this is not just, I I pray that this message this morning is not just another message that we hear on prayer, but it is actually a a now word for this body of something that the Father is wanting to do in this house. I got Nick's permission to share this vision before. (laughs) Nick had a vision. He said, I saw someone walking into the sanctuary at OFH. I knew they were headed to the place of prayer. All I could see was their feet as they were walking in this direction. As I saw them walking, a hand reached out, grabbed their ankle and pulled them back. So I believe the Lord is giving us divine insight to what he wants, but also uh, the strategy of the enemy and the strategy of distraction to pull people away from the place of prayer. I, I say this with as much tenderness as I can, but I believe that uh, the flesh, that in the flesh, we all feel this way about prayer. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> Everybody's like, please stop. <laughs> and that's biblical. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is coming before the Father, before his crucifixion, and one of the most excruciating times, I would say it was the second most excruciating time in the life of Christ outside of the cross, it, was num- it had to be number one. Where Jesus is before his father in a place called Gethsemane. Does anybody know what the word Gethsemane means? Oil press. It was an oil press. And Jesus comes to Gethsemane. It was on the Mount of Olives. It was a garden on the Mount of Olives. He comes to this place called Gethsemane. Oil press. And he brings his disciples there. And he, what does Jesus do? Jesus invites his disciples to pray with him. He invites his disciples into one of the most intimate moments in his entire life where the Bible says that it was so uh, excruciatingly uh, 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 grieving to him, to his soul, that he was sweating, that his, his sweat became like drops of blood. And he comes back to his disciples three times. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. I believe that this is revelation to us that we have two pictures in Gethsemane of the opportunity and the invitation from God himself to participate in what he is doing. But we have a tendency in the flesh to want to fall asleep. We would rather be sleeping. We would rather be comfortable. We would rather be drunk off of entertainment and social media than found in a place of prayer. And I believe that the place of prayer is a place of pressing and a place of crushing, right? Gethsemane means oil press. I believe that the place of prayer is like a press that presses out the anointing of God in our lives that we would accomplish and do His will no matter how hard, no matter how excruciating, that the place of prayer aligns us with God Himself. And if we want to fulfill our divine assignment and destiny as a house here in this region, we must be found on our knees. And the reason we must be found on our knees is because what God has called us to is impossible. But Jesus says, if you have faith, you will believe whatever you have asked for in prayer. And you will say to this mountain, get up and move into the sea and it will be done for you. But I believe one of the problems is is that we don't ask because we lack faith. We don't understand the power of prayer. We don't actually believe that prayer moves mountains. That prayer affects change. That like Elijah prayed and stopped up the rain for I think three years. If, if we are going to accomplish the assignment God has given us, we have, have to be found in a place of prayer. I believe Leonard Ravenhill said, if, uh, if we're not praying, we're straying. The man of God that is not praying is playing. And I believe that if we as a body aren't contending, we're just pretending. But God wants to make us contenders for His kingdom. He wants to make us contenders that heaven would come to earth. That the kingdom would be made manifest on the earth. Again, it's an invitation. The Father is pleased, and it's an invitation into a greater depth of intercession and prayer for this city, for prodigals, for the unbelieving, for heaven to touch earth. I believe that prayer creates open heavens. I believe that prayer creates open heavens. Does anybody want an open heaven? Does anybody want what's happening in our Heavenly Father's house, in our Heavenly Father's kingdom, in, in our Savior's kingdom, in our Lord's kingdom, to be made manifest in this place, in Avon, Indiana? Does anybody want an open heaven? Does anybody want a kiss? Anybody want a touch from heaven? This is from, uh, from Luke. It says Jesus prayed. It was at His baptism. Jesus. It says while He was praying, the heavens were opened. I believe that if we would be found as a house of intercession and prayer, that God would rend the heavens, that God would open the heavens because God has always longed to dwell with his people. God has always longed to come down and be in the midst of his people. We see it in the garden when when God creates man. Speaking of the valley of dry bones, uh, he creates man. He has flesh and he's just laying there. He's dead. Not dead. He's not alive yet. God forms him of the dust of the earth. And what does he do? He breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. And man begins to walk with God in the cool of the day. Walk with God. That's what the place of prayer is. It's a place of such deep intimacy and connection with the Father where we become one with Him. That was Jesus' prayer. John 17, that they would become one as we we are one, and we would be one, and they're one, and everybody's one. You you read that enough and you're like, one, 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 we're all one, one. (laughs) But But that's what God wants. God wants a people who become one with Him. And that's what we find in Acts. We find a people who were continually devoted in one mind in prayer. Continually devoted. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 to be devoted to prayer. The will of God according to 1 Thessalonians 4.17 is to be praying at all times. To be praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. We're all to be praying without ceasing. Is that 24-7? Is that continual? Is that all the time? How is that even possible? How is that even possible? Pray without ceasing. It says this is the will of God for you. We want to know what the will of God for us this morning is. It's to be a people who pray without ceasing. It's to be a people who are so given to the place of prayer that, we, that prayer isn't just something that we do, but someone that we become. What are you talking about, Ben? This is strange. Becoming prayer. How do you become Prayer. Becoming prayer, that prayer wouldn't just be something that we do, but someone we become. Jesus says in every single one of the synoptic gospels, my house shall be a house of prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer. And we know also in the New Testament that our bodies individually as believers and collectively together are a temple of God. That we are a temple. So if Jesus wants his people, if if, if Jesus is the place, excuse me, please excuse me, if, if we are where Jesus wants to dwell in bodily form, if he is where we rest, you know, Ephesians 3, chapter 3 says that Jesus would finally settle down once and for all And be at home in you through your faith. Wow. You're telling me that through faith. Through faith that my body becomes a temple and a dwelling place for the living God. Yes. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And so as a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the new covenant. We are to become a house of prayer. What if there's a place in prayer? What if there's a place of intercession in our lives where we become so full of God, so connected with the Father, so full of Jesus Christ, so baptized in the Holy Spirit that our life just oozes intercession and prayer, that we become a walking prayer because we're so full of God. Does God want to fill his people? Does God want to overwhelm His people that we would be a house of prayer? Listen to this. This is Psalm 109.4. This is an article I read recently from Dr. Michael Brown. It was interesting timing, to say the least. Psalm 109.4. In place of my love, they hatefully accuse me, but I am prayer. These are the kind of Bible verses that just blow my mind. But but I am prayer. The English translations, they they add other prepositions in there. But I am given to prayer. But I will pray. But the Hebrew has no preposition. In In the Hebrew, it literally reads, I am prayer. Listen to what Jewish Christian commentator Adolf Sapphire says. Apparently something good can come from someone named Adolf, after all. (laughs) Jesus restores everything. Come on. (laughs) Hallelujah. But I am prayer. Psalm 109.4. You can look it up for yourself. I am prayer. The Messiah says in this prophetic psalm, I am prayer. During his pilgrimage on earth, His whole life was communion with God. His whole life was communion with God. Jesus did nothing that he didn't see the Father doing. Jesus said nothing he didn't hear the Father saying. Every single thing that he did was aligned with heaven itself. That wasn't part of the quote. His whole life was communion with God. And now in His glory, He is constantly making intercession for us. But this does not exhaust the idea, I am prayer. He not merely prayed and is now praying. He not merely teaches and influences us to pray. But He is prayer, the fountain and source of all prayer, as well as the foundation and basis of all answers to our petitions. He is the word in this sense also. He is the word in this sense also. From all eternity, his father heard him. Heard him as interceding for that world which created through him he represented. And in which through him divine glory was to be revealed. In the same sense therefore, in which Jesus is light and gives light in which he is life and resurrection, and therefore quickens. Jesus is prayer. (laughs) But I am prayer. But I am prayer. Do you you feel how pregnant this is with meaning? Do you feel how pregnant this is with destiny? The Bible says, again, Romans 12, to be devoted to prayer. Multiple different translations say persist in prayer, constant in prayer, faithful in prayer. The word devoted means zealous, passionate burning, passionate burning, an attachment, loyalty, or affection. Man, I don't know about you, but this does not describe my prayer life all the time. A passionate burning. In attachment loyalty and affection do we feel the draw of the prayer room do we feel it sucking us in like we have to be found there i'm afraid that our the level and degree of our prayerlessness reveals our pride i'm afraid that the level that we can go without uh, without prayer reveals the extent that we're able to trust in ourselves and our own flesh I'm afraid that our prayerlessness reveals our little faith. That we don't ask because we don't actually believe. The word says that if you ask in faith, I already quoted it, that you will receive. And the Bible also says, you have not because you ask not. And, you ask, and when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. What if we don't ask because we don't actually believe our prayers move mountains like Jesus said they did. But they do. And I, 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 need, I feel like I need to touch on this because it's somewhere I've gone personally in my own journey and walk with God. And that is that verse about you have not because you ask not and you have not because you ask with the wrong motives. I feel like the Lord, I'll just give them to you now. I feel like the Lord gave me three hindrances to prayer while I'm on it, while I'm thinking about it. Three hindrances to prayer. The first one is distraction. Can I encourage us this morning that distraction is not merely our cell phones? Distraction is not merely entertainment. But those things are just the tip of the iceberg. They actually just reveal our dependence on something else. They reveal a distracted heart and a distracted mind. See, distraction doesn't start with a phone. Distraction starts in our thought life. Distracted thinking, distracted feeling, things that pull us away. And then we go to other sources to numb the pain. We seek comfort in the world rather than comfort in the place of prayer. And the comfort of the world is superficial, while the comfort of God is supernatural. And we, when we find comfort in the world, we trade the comfort of the world for the comfort of God that which is superficial for that which is supernatural. Distraction, minds, feelings. We turn to things. There's something in us that is longing for something, an ache. I touched on it briefly last week with, with the groaning that is too deep with words that the longing of the soul to be clothed with eternity That there's an ache within all of our souls, and we will either go to God or we'll go somewhere else to fulfill that. I believe the second hindrance of prayer that the Father wanted, there's a lot, but there's just three that I want to give you. I feel like the Lord highlighted to me. The second is unbelief. We just don't believe it works, we don't believe that God hears our prayers. We don't believe that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. We, we believe that our prayers fall on deaf, ear, deaf ears. Rather than the truth of the scripture that he delights in the prayer of the righteous. Or so you even throw Song of Solomon in there. Your voice is beautiful to me. Your voice is lovely to me. What if we had that revelation about God that he actually wants to hear our voice more? Unbelief doesn't work. And fear, an unhealthy fear. And this is where I went off track with the James verse. is saying, you have not because you ask not and you ask with wrong motives. I've struggled in my life with like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to pray that because I don't know if it's the will of God or if I'm just asking for selfish reasons. And I have come to a resolve in my own heart and my own life. I would rather pray extraordinarily crazy prayers and be told no by God than have not because I did not ask. And if I'm trusting in my Father that even if I'm praying with a selfish motive, I am just entrusting myself to him that he'll reveal my my motives and then just refine me so it's just a win win I want to release that over us today that we would not have fear of asking because I don't know if it's the will of God or whatever if it's not God's will you're not bigger than God you're not going to manifest something that is outside of his will and if even if something happens that is uh, 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 challenging, He turns all things and works them all together for the for the good of those who love Him. Amen. I want to free. I feel that. I feel that in this room that there are people that need to be free from just asking their heavenly Father for things, for praying bold prayers, and trusting Him that if it's not His will, He will reveal that He will refine us. Jeff Lyle's word, that we would become an even greater house of prayer. That the anointing of the pot was to oil up the place of intercessory prayer. And the other part of that word that was connected is that he was hearing that this is a fault line. This is a fault line. He had a picture of a shaking and a quaking happening in Avon, Indiana that started from this place, and it was connected to the place of prayer. I'm telling us this morning, if we want to affect change in this region, if we don't want to just be a nice little church that gathers in a fishbowl every Sunday and Wednesday, but if we actually want to see the glory of God manifest... I don't want to play church. I want to see his power come down in unprecedented ways. I want to see revival. I want to see outpouring. I want to be, sh- I want to see shaking. I want to see awakening. I want to see the spirit move in ways that, that confound me. I want to see God move in ways that challenge my theology, that blow up all the boxes of like, well, I, I thought I believe, I don't know. I don't have any words. But if we're not found in a place of prayer, we will not walk in all that God has called us to walk in, both individually, but also collectively. The Father's desire is that prayer isn't just something we do, but something we become. My goodness gracious. Would you guys turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? want to give us some points on prayer this morning. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. In the scriptures Jesus gives example to an extraordinary prayer life. There are are accounts in the scripture, I already referenced one of them, where he prays at his baptism and the heavens open and the spirit descends. There's other places in, in the scriptures where it says that he prayed all night. That he spent the whole night in prayer. And nowhere else recorded in scripture do we have the disciples teaching, asking Jesus to teach them something? The one record that we have of the disciples saying, would you teach us? Is them asking Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us. To, they didn't say, teach us how to cast out demons. They didn't say, teach us how to, uh, to open blind eyes. They didn't say, teach us how to raise the dead. They said, teach us to pray. What if that was our prayer life? What if we had such a life of prayer that was so lathered in the communion and the fellowship of God that someone's like, whoa. Like we, like we all want to be anointed for the, the miraculous, but what about being anointed for prayer? What about, what about our lives looking like, like so, so crazy that someone's like, man, what, teach me how to pray? No, they didn't ask him, how to teach us how to cast out demons, teach us how to raise the dead. They said, teach us to pray. That's in Luke's account. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, truly. I say to you, they have their reward in full. Prayer that is prayed to be heard and seen by men is not heard by God. They have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In verses 5 through 8, we see Jesus addressing uh, two groups of people. He addresses the prayers of the religious, which is motivated by, to be seen by men, and the prayers of the Gentiles, of the world, where, where they feel like they're going to be heard because of their many words. Can I encourage us this morning? We don't have to fight to have our Father's ear. We don't have to fight to be heard by God. He hears. Even if he delays in moving or delays in granting the request we might ask, our Father hears. Every other religion is performing to try to work their way up to God. And he said this even affects the, the, the Gentiles, that they think that even that their gods would hear them for their meaningless repetition, for their many words. But Jesus says don't be like them. And I believe that Jesus, in his example, I love Hebrews 5.7. Let's turn there briefly. This is so impactful to me. This has wrecked my life, this one verse. This is shocking to me. This is beautiful. This is extravagant. This is mind-blowing. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just me that thinks that. I don't know. We'll find out. Hebrews 5, 7. Wow. In the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. We've been taught by religion that godly reverence, that's what piety means. It's reverence for God. It's godly fear. We've been taught by religion that reverence looks like stoicism rather than extravagant worship to God, prayer to God that is gut-wrenching, that is loud, that is boisterous, that is crying out to Him. I touched on it briefly last week, but God is looking for a people like Hannah. God is looking for a people like Hannah. And although she was barren in the natural, that we would realize in and of ourselves our spiritual barrenness. And it would produce an intercession in us to God that would say, Would you birth it? Would you do it? I can't do it. I can produce nothing. I can birth nothing. God is looking for hearts of barrenness that would be so desperate for before Him. Guys, can I encourage us, if we see Jesus constantly slipping away to the wilderness to pray, praying all night, offering up loud prayers and supplication with tears to God, if Jesus, God in the flesh did it, how much more do we need it? There's something that needs to be broken off of this region of a spirit of religion that wants to shut the mouths of His people that are afraid to get loud, that are afraid to get ugly before God. God. The truth is, God sees it all anyways. God sees it all. He was heard because of His piety, His godly, His reverent submission to God. If Jesus, how much more us? Jesus addresses the prayer of the righteous, of the religious. Even in Luke chapter 18. He says the Pharisees praying on the street corner to be heard, to be seen by men. Says, thank you God that I tithe. Thank you God that I fast. Thank you God that I'm not like these sinners. Thank you Lord. Hallelujah. I'm righteous. I'm good. I go to church every day. I go to church on Wednesday. Sunday. I read my Bible. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus says, don't be like this man. He said, be like the the tax collector, the sinner, who said, have mercy on me, God. And Jesus said, this one was the one who went away justified. Man, I feel like there's something about the heart of humanity. (laughs) That just wants to stay hidden. Even in the place of prayer. I mean God confronts Adam in the garden. and He has fig leaves on. He still tries to stay hidden. He still tries to hide behind his words to God. How how often do we as people hide behind our words to God? You know one time the Lord spoke to me and he said. What if your words to me are getting in the way of my words to you? (laughs) Can any parents natural parents in this room relate to that like you're trying to tell your kids something hey listen hey listen hey listen would you listen would you listen and they're just like you're just like i'm trying to tell you something like i'm actually trying to give you the thing you're asking but you just you're not you're not letting me talk i believe we do the same thing with our heavenly father that prayer is as much about hearing from god as it is about speaking to him Prayer is not transactional. Prayer is not God, a genie in the bottle who, I I need something now, so will you do it for me? No, God is a God of relationship. God of a God is of interaction, of of dialogue. God wants to speak to us. Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 9. I have 10 points for us. I'll try to get through them pretty quick. If you want to write down, prayer is a place of. And then I would also like you to write down like next to that or the inverse of that. When we forsake the place of prayer, we forsake. So in other words, we understand and learn through the scriptures what prayer is what it's a place of, but also we understand the inverse implications of that, that if we are not a people who give ourselves to the place of prayer, we're also forsaking something. We're also forfeiting something. Verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Man, I even just feel the religiousness of the, this passage of Scripture, that religion has just has, has robbed us, as it's something that's just regurgitated liturgically in services, rather than something that's pregnant with meaning. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray here. Number one, prayer is a place of encounter. Prayer is a place of encounter with our Heavenly Father. It's a place of beholding. I believe that our prayer life reveals the degree of our revelation of the Father. How can you say that, Ben? Because if we really saw Him, if we really knew Him, if we really understood that prayer was a place of encounter with the living God who spoke all things into existence, who parted the Red Sea, who came down in flesh, fully God, fully man, who died on a Christ, we realized that prayer was a place of beholding Him. Prayer was a place of encountering Him. But how could we not be running to that place? How could we not be burning for more encounter with Jesus? Prayer is a place of encounter. Number two, prayer is a place of revelation. Prayer is a place where information... Becomes revelation. Becomes transformation. It's not good enough for us to confess with our words, but not know in our hearts that we have a heavenly Father. And it takes the place of prayer to understand the Father. To know that we have a Father in heaven. And as much as we forsake the place of prayer, we will stay spiritual orphans. Number three is getting wrapped up into this. It's fathering. Prayer is a place of fathering. It's a place where we start to, be, to know our, uh, God as our Heavenly Father. I am telling you guys that I think that this might be the, the single greatest revelation I've ever had that has produced the most transformation in my life. That God is my Father. That I have a Heavenly Father and that He's holy. That He's perfect. That He's not going to hurt me. Well, there's some caveats to that, but in a way that's not for my good. (sighs) To the extent that we forsake prayer, we stay orphans. To the extent that we forsake prayer, we forsake healing of our father wound. We all know that we have father wounds on this earth. That we all have a tendency to see our heavenly father through the lens of who our earthly father is. Talk about something that will keep you from the place of prayer. Fear of who God is, that he's some big, nasty, angry, mean guy. No, he's holy. And his name is holy. He's perfect. He has no ill motive. He is full of love and mercy and tenderness and kindness. But if we are not given to the place of prayer, we will not be fathered by God. Because prayer is a place of interaction with Him. Where He speaks our identity into us. He says, my son, this is who I've made you to be. It's a place where He reverses the shame and the encounters with our earthly fathers. Where He says, I was there. It's a place where He begins to reveal to us how He's wired us in His kingdom. Our personalities. Who He's made us to be. The grace on our life. How we fit into the body. Because every joint supply... If you feel like you don't fit into the body, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a place of fathering. (sighs) Number four. Sorry, I need to read verse 10 first. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number four, prayer is a place of submission. Prayer is a place of submission to the will of God. Can I tell us and encourage us this morning? I believe that the only thing the human will is good for is for choosing to submit to the will of God. The only thing that the human will is good for is choosing to submit to the will of, of God. His perfect will. His pleasing will. He's a holy father. It's good. It might be painful. Number five, but uh, uh, prayer is a place of crushing and pressing. I referenced this already. But this is the, in, uh, the account of Gethsemane. Because how, how many of us know that sometimes God asks us to do hard things. That sometimes our will is not in line with his will. So then what happens? There's a collision. There's a collision of flesh and spirit. There's a collision of earthly and heavenly. There's a collision of human and divine. But when we're found in the place of prayer, God presses out God helps us to press out the desire to do his will, the aligning with his will. Can I read this just real quick from Matthew chapter 26? Let me just read it. You don't need to turn there. Has anybody experienced this? Has anybody experienced the wrestle of what God is asking them to do, and you're like, I don't want to do that? And I want to tread carefully here on this passage because this is Jesus, and Jesus was perfect. So he didn't cross any lines, he didn't cross any boundaries that we probably all have crossed. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which means olive press, and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, "My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. My goodness, remain here and keep watch with me. Where do we turn when our soul is deeply d- uh, distressed? Where do we turn? Do we turn to food? We turn to our phones we turn to entertainment or do we turn like Jesus turned? He's our example. What do we do when we're excruciatingly grieved? Do we turn to prayer? And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You see the request there? Yet, Not as I will, but as you will. The submission to the Father's will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. There we are. There we are, just sleeping on God. When we sleep on prayer, we sleep on God. When we sleep on prayer, we sleep on God. We sleep on the kingdom of heaven. We sleep on the will of God. We sleep on the heart of God. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He came again and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed. into the hands of sinners, get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Prayer is a place of pressing. Prayer is a place where our will collides with the will of God. And if we stay in the press long enough, if we stay in the place long enough, God's will will be produced through us. God's will, our will is crushed, that God's will would be manifest in our lives, that we would partner with the divine. Guys, when we partner with God's will, we are partnering with the eternal realities of heaven. We uh, We are partnering with his purposes and his plans in the earth, which will not be quenched, which will not be put out, which will not be stopped. Number six. Prayer is a place of transformation and participation. We get to participate in the things of God, in the kingdom of heaven. I just alluded to it. But we see from Matthew chapter 13 that that, that the kingdom is like a seed. That the kingdom is like a seed and that it's planted and it starts out the smallest of all of the garden plants. But then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it overtakes all of the other ones. And that is what prayer does to the kingdom within us. When we're given to the place of prayer, the kingdom grows. The, cre- the kingdom starts to crowd out all the other kingdoms within us until we're possessed by heaven itself. Prayer is a place of contending. Open heaven and outpouring. Romans 5.2 says, Contend vigorously for me in your prayers contend vigorously for me in your prayers to strive with me for your prayers there is a place of intensity in prayer that God wants to invite us into there is a place of struggle in prayer that's what contend vigorously means it's like where prayer becomes so intense where it's like we're working something out we're contending for something more something more than flesh and blood Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayer is a place of dependence. Prayer is a place of dependence. And I don't believe that this is Jesus just asking for natural provision. I actually believe this primarily means Jesus asking for spiritual provision, for for spiritual grace. Jesus says in the temptation in Matthew 4.4, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need a dependence on God. Prayer is a place of dependence where we get his word, where not only he speaks to us his written word, but he speaks to us a fresh Rama word that would sustain us in season, that would sustain us every single day. And yesterday's bread isn't good enough. Yesterday's bread rotted. Yesterday's bread went away. That's why we have to be a prayer of a, a, a people of unceasing prayer to get today's manna, today's sustenance. I am so gripped by the stark contrast of humanity that one minute we can be living in the spirit and experiencing something so powerful and the next minute we can be so full of the flesh, it's like, what the heck just happened? We even see this in the scriptures when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responds and says, you are the Christ. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And on this rock, on this revelation that I'm the Christ, I'll build my church. Three verses later, Jesus is rebuking Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. You're full of man's will. I have to go to the cross. That is the edge that we live on. And that's why we have to be found in prayer, the place of dependence that is continually receiving, abiding in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Trusting in God for his daily provision. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I believe prayer is a place of repentance. Man, the body of Christ in America. I'm grieved by some of what I see and hear. I think that there's doctrine out there that say we need to avoid our our sinful humanity. We We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about repentance. But here we have Jesus when his disciples are asking him to teach us to pray, and he says, forgive us. Prayer is a place of repentance, and I believe that it's a strategy of the enemy in the earth to make repentance a dirty word so that the body stays dirty. Because repentance actually cleanses us. Repentance actually keeps us right before God. To resist repentance is to resist Jesus Himself. Repentance prepares the way of the Lord, we read in several chapters before this. Repentance prepares the place of the Lord. But that's not just corporately. Yes, corporately, but also individually. When I live a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of keeping my heart and my life right before God, allowing Him to convict me in the place of prayer, allowing Him to correct me as His Son, allowing Him to rebuke me, adjust me. It's always in love. It's not heavy-handed. But it keeps me right. It keeps me clean. And it prepares the way of Jesus it prepares the way of Jesus to be, uh, to be in me. For Jesus to be magnified in me. That he would increase and that I would decrease. It's a place of repentance. I, man, I'm not saying that we should define ourselves and identify ourselves as sinners. I'm not, we are sons and daughters. We're clean before the Father. But we, have, we are a mixture of dignity and depravity. The dignity is the image and the likeness of God. The depravity is our fallenness and our brokenness. And when we, when we avoid the depravity, we avoid dependence on God. And I actually believe that as humans when, and believers, when we avoid the realities of our brokenness and our sin nature, we actually avoid a deeper love of God. A deeper love for God. A deeper devotion for Him. What does Jesus say to the woman who comes in and breaks the jar at His feet? Who's, who's washing His feet with her tears and her hair? What about that extravagant worship? What about that devotion? And what do we have the religious spirit speaking up and saying, what is this woman doing? This is scandalous. If, if you knew how she got this, you would be disgusted. And Jesus says, you know what? He who is forgiven much loves much. I believe that actually acknowledging our brokenness before God provides a deeper love and devotion for him. When we realize the extent, when we see his holiness, you're a holy father. When we encounter who he is and his perfection. In contrast, who we are in our brokenness and that he forgives us, that he makes us righteous, that that Jesus tore his flesh, that we could have communion with the Father. Man, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to weep. That makes me want to be more devoted. That makes me uh, want to take up my cross daily and die. But the body of Christ in America just wants to to avoid all of that, all of the depravity, all the brokenness. And we just want to pretend that everything's okay. It's not okay. Look around in our world. It's a mess. Verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Number 10, prayer is a place of protection. I find this verse absolutely fascinating. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? Because we know from James that temptation doesn't come from God, that he can't tempt anybody. And then we see in Matthew chapter 4, it says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I'm like, Lord, can you help me get out of this pretzel here? Like, I'm not sure. Like, you don't tempt. Jesus, you're praying right now. Don't lead us into temptation. But the Spirit of God led you into temptation in the wilderness. It says in Luke that he came out in the power of the Spirit. I love that. In Luke's account, he says that he went under the influence of the Spirit. I believe that prayer is a place of protection from the enemy in that it keeps us sober-minded and alert. Colossians 4, I believe it's verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. I believe that prayer keeps us spiritually awake, spiritually sharp. It helps us to discern and to decipher what is flesh and what is God. And it keeps us from entering into the temptation. Not that temptation, I don't believe Jesus is saying that temptation would never happen. It's not entering into it. It's not giving way to it. That he always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That the spirit of God through prayer gives us a protection from being able. Do you know that although I just acknowledged that we should acknowledge our sinfulness and our brokenness before God. I also believe that none of us ever have to sin again. That we have the power over sin and death. And I also find it fascinating that Jesus said to his. This is also in Gethsemane. We read the scripture. He said pray. That you do not enter temptation. Prayer keeps us spiritually alert, awake, and sharp, that we would have power over the devil, over the enemy, and that we would not ever have to give in to the temptation. Would y'all stand with me? Would y'all just begin to pray in the spirit with me? We must be given to the place of prayer. We must be given to the place of prayer. Jesus said, My house shall be a house of prayer. In every single synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find this passage of Jesus saying, My house shall be a house of prayer. In every single instance, he says, You made it a den of robbers. In every single instance, a couple chapters later, when the scene is ending, Jesus says, I will not leave one stone on top of the other, speaking of the temple. When we forsake the place of prayer, we make the house of God a den of robbers. We make it a safe place to be robbed spiritually. And I believe that although the house of prayer's destiny is to become a place of habitation, That when we are a house of prayer that we will be a people of habitation where God comes down, where God comes to dwell, where God comes to fill. But if we forsake the place of prayer, He leaves the house desolate. We trade habitation for desolation. Jesus says, I will leave no stone, not a one stone on top of the other. If you have a burning in your heart, if you feel convicted this morning, if you want to become prayer, if you want to become a house of prayer, if you feel like that that hand of, of Nick's vision has grabbed your foot to pull you out of the prayer room, I want to invite you to this altar to pray. I'm praying for an impartation this morning. I'm praying for a burning and a burden of intercession for God, for His house, for His body, for this region. That we would be a people on fire. That we would be a people burning in loyalty, affection, and devotion to prayer. That we would get off our phones and on our knees. That we would turn the TV off and get on our knees. That we would be found praying with our children instead of watching TV shows. That we would develop a groan inside that longs for something more than this earth. That we would not stop contending. That we would be perseverant in our prayer and persistent. That there would be a divine endurance that happens. Where Jesus comes back and says, you couldn't even pray with me for one hour. Man, I don't want Jesus looking at my prayer life and saying, you couldn't even pray for an hour. God, would you make us long in prayer? Would you make us a prayer? That the incense would fill the bowls before your throne.